We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Thing sucks. All righty. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Alternative Podcast with Curry and Ray. I'm Ray. He's Curry, and we've got a fun-filled show for you today. It's going to be a uh, politics heavy on this one because there's a lot going on with the uh, the Democratic debates and um, uh, things going on in the Supreme Court and just lots of lots of good stuff going on. But we're going to start off with sports real quick. Perry? Yeah, so really the only thing going on is tomorrow NBA free agency starts and there are some pretty big names. So what we're going to do real quickly – we're going to go through the list here of the biggest name free agents. I think there's uh, maybe 11 or 12 and give the team that we think they're going to go to. So let's start off. Obviously, the biggest name is Kevin Durant. Where do you think? Honestly, I mean, I thought he was going to New York, but he's got an injury. And we don't really know how that's going to affect his future or – I mean, not looking at shorthand and how long it's going to take for him to heal, but he could pro- possibly never be the same. So, I don't know who wants to take a chance on that. Yeah, I mean, he has the same injury that <clears throat> DeMarcus Cousins has, and, you know, DeMarcus Cousins wasn't the same person once he came back this year, even once he got healthy. But there have been some rumors that – Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard have been talking about playing together. And apparently the only two places that could really make that happen would be the Knicks and the Clippers. Uh, I don't know. Obviously Kawhi wants to go to Los Angeles. At least he said he, he wants to do that. But that'd be crazy for Kevin Durant. I don't know. I think he, he's not going back to the Warriors. That's not happening. No. Um, I think he ends up I don't, I, I don't know I think he wants to stay or not stay I think he wants to go to the east coast I don't know I just think he, I have that feeling I think he, he may end up with the Knicks um, but I don't know it, he's, he's probably the toughest one on the list to really figure out I think he should go back to OKC I don't know that Russ would have that. I think if he – I agree with you, but I don't know that Russ would be okay with that. I think Russ would be okay with it if he if he extended, you know, that olive branch. Um, KD extended that olive branch and, you know, they got back to their old ways because the only reason they fell out is because he left. I mean, they were great friends up until that point. And then it just turned salty and sour. They played but great they together. Yeah, but now they got Paul George. I, just, I, I don't know. I don't see that happening. I mean, I, it'd be a it'd be a total LeBron story again where he went back to Cleveland. But I don't know. I, I honestly don't know where he's going to go. If I had to put my money on it somewhere, I would probably say the Clippers before anything else, but I don't know. Because Jerry West, he was in 
um, Golden State whenever they first got Durant there, and then he left to go to the Clippers. So there's already a relationship established there. So that's my guess is the Clippers, but I'll probably be wrong. All right. What we got next? Well, next is obviously Kawhi. Kawhi. What to do, baby? There's been a lot, a lot of talk about him going to the Lakers now. He's going to meet with Magic Johnson and um, Jeannie Buss, but I don't know. I mean, the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron, but and they have another spot for another max contract, but it just seems a little out there, doesn't it, to have those three on the team? You mean excessive? Well, no, I mean, I just don't know that Kawhi I, – I don't know. I don't know that Kawhi is going to want to go there with LeBron. I mean, obviously LeBron's going to control the team. Anthony Davis doesn't have that big of a personality, mm-hmm. so he's not really going to butt heads with him. But And Kawhi doesn't butt heads with anybody. So, to me, it seems like the perfect fit. Yeah, but then they, like, have no money for anybody else. It's going to be Kyle Kuzma, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and then I don't know. There's, like, nobody else. I think it'll work. But I don't think he's going back to Toronto. I don't know. I think that that door is still open. I, I I think it's open, but I don't know that. Uh, I think I it's either going to be L.A. or Toronto. But it's it's not going to be anywhere else for Kawhi. It all depends on how how hard L.A. works for him. You mean the Lakers or the Clippers? The Lakers. Because <clears throat> I think the Clippers are in play. Because that that was the whole talk last year whenever Kawhi was getting traded was that the Clippers were making a hard push for him and that he liked the idea of playing for the Clippers. So I don't know. A lot of things change in a year. Yeah. If I had my guess, I'd probably say the Lakers right now since all the rumors that are going out. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the next, there's actually two that have already been decided even though free agency isn't even open yet. Clay Thompson is, has reportedly agreed to return to the Golden State Warriors. No real big surprise there. Kyrie Irving has apparently agreed to join the Brooklyn Nets, which, mm. uh, I mean, that is I – don't, I, don't, I don't know who else is there. Because if you get Kyrie, D'Angelo Russell's gone. So, are they going to go after KD? Are they going to go after Jimmy Butler? Are they, I mean, who are, they got to add somebody else than just Kyrie. And Kyrie probably, if he's going there, he probably thinks they're going to get somebody else. Oh. I don't know who that's going to be. But. I, I don't understand why he left Boston. I don't know. I, I mean – there's got to be some sort of bad blood there with somebody. 
because I mean right. they, that team, that team's chances to win the championship was exponentially higher for for them with uh, Kyrie, and I think Kyrie's chances were higher with them as well. Right. Well, they're losing Al Horford too, apparently. Who? Al Horford. Not familiar. Oh my god. You let the white guy know more about the NBA than you? Well, everybody has their thing, Curry. Oh, all right. (laughs) Well, the next one is Jimmy Butler. There's been talk about Houston is trying to pursue him in a sign-and-trade deal. And if that happens, apparently they're going to send Clint Capella to Boston. So... Clint You'd Capella. have what's that? Clint Capella. Clint Capella. Do you know that name? I do. Oh, there we go. The famous uh, mafia family, the Capellas. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, in that case, you'd have Harden and Jimmy Butler. in Houston. So I don't know that that happens, but apparently the Miami Heat are pursuing him. But I think Jimmy Butler is going to go somewhere where he can, he can win. And I don't think he can win right away. in in Miami, there's not enough down there. Mm -hmm. So my guess would be Houston at this point, since that's the only person I've really heard that's like going after him. But if L.A. doesn't get Kawhi, I could definitely see them trying to go after Butler. But we'll see. Next one, Chris Middleton from Milwaukee. I'm not that familiar with him, but apparently he's going to re-sign. Nikolai Vucevic down in Orlando. He's apparently going to re-sign. D'Angelo Russell, that's a a good one because – There's been a lot of talk about him going back to L.A., Um, but he is a restricted free agent right now, so it's a little bit different. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I think the plan is that Brooklyn, if they don't get – if they get Kyrie, they're going to let D'Angelo Russell walk, but – since he's restricted free agent, if they don't get Kyrie, they'll be able to, you know, keep D'Angelo Russell. So I don't know, but they're not going to, then again, LA, if they get Kawhi or somebody, they're not going to be able to afford him. So I don't know where he's going to go. That's definitely going to be interesting coming up here in the next couple months. Yeah. See where everybody I think he should. I think you should hook back up with that dude who dated Iggy Azalea. What was his name? Nick Price or something? Swaggy P? Yeah, is that him? Yeah. No, I think you should go with Price. It's Nick something. What is it? Nick Young. There it is. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think you should go wherever that dude's playing. Where is his playing? I have no idea. Last time, it was like last year, the year before, he was playing with Golden State, but I think he went somewhere else. 
So, and then Kimba Walker is apparently going to Boston. Those are all the reports on that one. Tobias Harris, he's with the 76ers right now, but I don't think he's going to be back. Depends on who else they get. DeMarcus Cousins, I don't really see anybody being that interested in him anymore. I mean, he'll get signed somewhere, but I really don't know where he would go. It'll be something very low level in money. I would say he's probably on his way out. Say again? I would say he's probably on his way out. What do you mean, retiring? Yeah, within the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, unless he comes back and has a <clears throat> really good year for somebody. I mean, he he didn't play very much in the finals unless somebody was in foul trouble. So, But then again, when he was in there, he played decent. So he's got to go somewhere where he's the guy. Yeah. Because when he was in Golden State, he was pretty much a rebounder because all they do is shoot threes. So that's about it. I mean, I guess we'll figure out more tomorrow. But I don't know. Still, the Kevin Durant thing, it's really weird. Whoever gets him, he's not playing until at least three-quarters of the way through the season. And, I mean, whoever and if he would, picks him up, they're just, you know, taking that chance that whenever he does come back, he's going to be their anchor guy, carry him into the off or carry him to the postseason. Right. And if he was smart, he would just not come back into the playoffs. I mean, that's just me. But unless his team is, like, for sure not in the playoffs and they need help to get in. But I don't know. that That's probably – the most interesting one to me would be Durant just because obviously we know he can go wherever and he'll probably write in the Players' Tribune again where he's going. So, well, that's about it for sports. So, All right, so we got uh, the Democratic Debates were up uh, absolute clown show. <laughs> so they the the DNC split up the debates um, between two nights because there's uh, currently 467 candidates in the field, and it was sort of a battle royale on Thursday and Friday night. Curry, what do you have for us on what what was your take on the debates? Well, should we go night by night? Yeah, let's do the what they call the the main card. That was Thursday night, the big hitters. Well, obviously that night you had you had Joe Biden, you had Crazy Bernie, you had Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Steve's guy, which he got like three minutes to say anything. <laughs> You had Gillibrand, some dude I've never even heard of. I don't know. His name was like Hickenlooper or something. Oh, old John. 
Yeah. He couldn't, I mean, he couldn't help but tell us he's a scientist like 20 times while he was on stage. Then you had Swalwell who got up there and literally called Joe Biden old to his face. Hmm. I like that. And then you had sweet Marianne Williamson, who she had to be on Molly during the debate because she said her first thing she's going to do is call New Zealand and tell her and tell the prime minister of New Zealand that they're going to have a competition on which, which country is better for a kid to grow up in. It's hmm. bold. But if we want to, if we want to get into substance of it, I mean, if there is any from these clowns, cause I know y'all fucking lying. Um, I guess the biggest thing that I took away from it was, on both nights, everybody up there, especially on the main card, the people who are really have a chance at the nomination, everybody up there rose the, raised their hand whenever they were asked if their health care plan was going to provide coverage for illegal immigrants. Every single one of them raised their hand. Get trapped on a goddamn phone! Well, you expect anything different? I expected somebody to be look around and be like, you people are out of your minds. I mean, not only that, Bernie sat there and to our faces told us that the middle class is going to get taxes raised on him for his health care plan. I mean, when's the last time we've had a presidential candidate on either side, Democrat or Republican, actually flat out say, I'm going to raise your taxes if I get in office? And people are buying into that crap. Well, a lot of people will call that transparency, Craig. Well, great. I'm glad he's transparent, but he's also out of his freaking mind. <laughs> if he thinks he's going to win by going up on stage next to Donald Trump and say, I'm going to raise your taxes, he's out of his mind. And I'm telling you, if anybody believes that crap and you're for this utopian healthcare plan that they think is going to work because you're going to pay more in taxes, but you're not going to have any premiums. If you think that crap's going to work, you deserve whatever the heck is coming to you. If it does happen. Well, listen, it, uh, a lot of the times when conservatives talk about healthcare and universal healthcare in, in, in particular, it gets a, a bad connotation. Universal healthcare is a good thing. It is a great thing. The problem is funding it. So while you have, you know, people like Bernie Sanders talking about raising taxes or whatever, raising taxes is a bad thing. But when it comes to something like universal health care, which, which means, you know, nationwide health care coverage for every American citizen, it's not such a bad thing. If we can allocate our funds to where that we're not spending it on frivolous things much like other programs that we don't need that they tend to champion. And if we can, if we can make sure that our money's going where it's supposed to go, I mean, it's all about being fiscally responsible when it comes to programs like this. We can't just throw money at any and everything that sounds good. But universal healthcare, I think personally is a, is something that we should try to fund. And in that sense, 
trying to fund that, meaning taking money away from other things that are not so are not so productive. You see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I, the idea of universal healthcare is obviously great. You think uh, if you if you sit here and think, oh, everybody has health coverage. Yes, that's that's gr- this sounds great, but what what they their plans they all set it up there is what they want to do is they want to abol- they want to abolish the private insurance companies which num- number one that's going to probably lay off hundreds of thousands of jobs mm-hmm. so a bunch of people are going to be out of work and they want to make you go on to government health insurance i like my health insurance i'm perfectly fine with it i don't get sick very often knock on wood i understand that some people do but I shouldn't be forced to get on a healthcare plan if I don't want to. No, you shouldn't. But all of them up there said we're going to do away with private insurance. And that's going about it the wrong way. Right. It's why they're all freaking clowns. You know, uh, in the healthcare debate, you know, you have basically two defining factors you have insurance costs and you have actual health care costs and i think you know making it to where what they're talking about you know getting rid of the private insurance companies and going to you know government health care insurance that's only going to exasperate the health care costs epidemic that we have right now i mean we have single pills going for thousands and thousands of dollars. That's just ridiculous. If we expanded the market and expanded, you know, the freedom of choice and actually, you know, made good on that age-old promise of if you have a doctor you like, you can keep your doctor, then it would probably mean, drive mean- <laughs> it would probably drive healthcare costs down because there's competition among insurance companies. I agree. I just think there needs to be a, a strong compromise when it comes to healthcare. It shouldn't that shouldn't be in such an extremist issue as it is today. It it really shouldn't, and it's been going on for years now. And the, the, the funny thing about it is they keep saying the healthcare system is broken. It's the same freaking system that Obama rolled out and they applauded. Obamacare is still there. So what are they trying to say? That the bill that all of them were so in favor of and thought that, you know, Obama was the second coming because of, it's not working now. So now they don't agree with it. And nobody's calling it out. They didn't agree with it before, but it was their party's, you know, defining piece of legislation so of course they were down they were on paper or in front of the media champion for it then but everybody wants their piece of the pie now right and it's it's failing but nobody wants to come out and say "Ah, obama was wrong when we've been saying he was for years now but no we couldn't say anything back then you know if you disagree you're racist (laughs) They can't come out and say Obama was wrong now. 
because again, they're still trying to get that nomination. Obama's not saying anything. He's not even endorsing his own vice president for eight years because it's too he's early. Not, no, it's not. Yes. Oh my God. He he ran next to him for eight years. He could endorse Hillary Clinton, who they despise privately. They can't stand each other. But for you know political purposes, he went up there and got on stage and you know danced with Beyonce and crap and endorsed her. But he can't endorse his supposedly best friend. He didn't endorse. He, just got, he didn't endorse Hillary the moment she decided to run. You know what I'm saying here. Uh, what I'm saying is there has to be a clear candidate before the most recent president of that party is going to endorse him. And Joe Biden, especially after Thursday night's debates, it's not looking so clear. Should we go over that? What happened? Go ahead. Well, pretty much Kamala Harris called him a racist. Bitch! Over what happened when she said specifically, I don't, Joe Biden, I don't think you're a racist, but, which always, I mean, that leads to you pretty much calling somebody a racist. Yeah. And she went after him for defending segregationist senators back in the day, like in the 70s or 80s or something like that. And then over the busing situation back in the seventies, which I'll be honest, I'm not completely aware of and what went on back then. But I mean, she flat out called the guy a racist to his face. Bitch. And then it, it just, it just baffles me. Even, even if you're not going to endorse him, the, your supposedly best friend and the guy who was your vice president for eight years got called a racist on national television in front of millions of people. And Obama is nowhere to be found. Not even Michelle. He could send Michelle out there. <laughs> I mean, come on. What? Okay, let me ask you. What do you what think? Kind of friend is that? What do you think Obama should say? And who should he, he say it to? All he's got to do, uh, he's so good at Twitter now, all he's got to do is go out there on Twitter and say, and do a little thread and say, I was, you know, Joe Biden worked alongside me for eight years. I've known him forever. He's a great guy. He's not a racist. That's all he's got to say. And you know, the entire Democratic Party, it'd be the end of it. But that's Kamala Harris. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying Kamala Harris wouldn't say another word about it because, you know, the godfather of the Democratic Party is now spoken. But, you know, that's not that's that's not how they operate. And that's not how he tends to do things either. That would be more like a Trump move coming out and saying, yo, this guy is not a racist. I know this guy is not a racist. Obama's just going to sit back and let whatever happens happen. Well, that's, yeah, he, he does do that. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm personally I'm looking forward to how this is all going to play out within the next coming days. 
and how poll numbers are going to reflect. Because, I mean, he he didn't he didn't really respond. He did a little bit. He his response, you know, he defended himself and then he he jabbed back at her by saying, "When I got out of law school, I became a public defender instead of a prosecutor." Pretty, and everybody was like, "Oh, like you know." If you were really, because they're talking about, she always talks about, um, you know, the, the incarceration problem within the black community, yet he was like, well, you became a prosecutor instead of a public defender. So that's that's really all he had. And yeah, that's, that wasn't kind of shit. Cool. I know, I'm just saying, I mean, to me, I'm just saying, it was a low blow by her. That followed up by an even lower blow by him. I, I I get that, but it all started with her starting crap. I mean, everything was going fine until then. All right. So when they go low, we go lower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, I just I – just, that was – that was the craziest thing, besides all their policy crap that happened, was the fact that she really went there and pretty much called the guy a racist to his face. Bitch! It, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. It is entertainment at its best right now. But back onto the policy stuff that they talked about. Obviously, the immigration thing is a big issue right now. You know, two, three months ago, it wasn't a crisis to the Democrats, but now all of a sudden we get a picture and talking about soap and toothbrushes, and now everybody's crying. And, you know, Ocasio Cortez, don't say anything. Let me get through my sentence. <laughs> Ocasio Cortez is out there and, you know, taking fake pictures of her down at the border crying. And everybody, you know, Trump's racist. Oh, my God. He's killing the children. Oh, my God. And it's just so pretty much, obviously, it came up on Thursday. And one of the questions was, would you decriminalize crossing the border? And pretty much all of them said yes. Okay. I mean, we already know, especially in a field full of 300, that somebody they have to, somebody has to tap into the base more than the others. And whether I mean, no, no, no. What I'm saying is, whether it's a field of 300 or it's a field of three, they have to they have to tap into the 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 roots, the very the very basic, basic, basic. Basic? Uh, what am I trying to say here? They have to tap into the most, the the simplest form of their policy platform in order to win over voters for the primary. So it's going to be the, the extremists of the extreme views. Nobody's going to let up at all. because So when they ask these questions about would you do this, this, and that, or raise your hand if you blah, 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 blah. If anybody doesn't raise their hand, boom, everybody's attacking that person. Oh, why not? Why not? Why are you compromising on this? Don't you think this should be that? Boom, 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 boom. And that person's out of there immediately. 
any kind of doubt that the other candidates can put in the voters' minds about that candidate is detrimental at this point. So as it gets closer to the general, then we're going to start seeing more of a, a moderate type of view or a more center-leaning view than what we're seeing right now. So talking about decriminalizing crossing the border, I mean, a question like that is not even going to come up later on down the road. That's that's a dumb question. But of course, you have to... No, I, hold on. I, I disagree with you. I don't think it's a dumb question. I think it's a good question because I they're honest. They're complete. They're being completely honest about it. They want absolute open borders, and they don't want anybody. They don't, they want they want anybody to be able to come over that border, and not one question be asked. I don't think so. I don't think so about every. I don't think so about every one of those candidates. I honestly don't think so about Joe Biden. Why? Because at the end of the day, he knows more than anybody up there that when he, if he gets into office or any type of position where he's he's making you know legislative decisions, they're not going to go for that. The country is not going to go for that. Just because there's a base of people who think it's all you know, you know, unicorns and rainbows, and we need to have you know, completely open everything, they're not the people that's going to be influencing policy decisions at the end of the day. They're not going to be the ones making policy decisions at the end of the day. But those are the people that are rallying up the rest of the party to vote this, that, or the other guy for this candidacy. Joe Biden is not going to push for open borders if he becomes president. He's probably going to push for a more lax immigration system. He's probably going to, you know, push to extend the Dreams program and all that. But he's not going to push for open borders. He raised his hand so that he could tap into that base and get as many votes as possible to get the, the nomination. Yeah, but why? Why raise your hand and go on record saying that yes, you would do that? So when, let's say you do become the, the nominee and you go up on a debate stage with, with Trump and Trump calls you out and says you want to decriminalize it. Why would you put yourself on record saying that? Because he did raise his hand. So was the, question, was the question, if you became president, would you decriminalize the border or decriminalize crossing the border? Or was it, are you in favor of decriminalizing the border? I honestly can't remember which one it was. Because if it was the latter, I mean, that's easy. Yeah, you're in favor of it, but you can, you can give the appearance that you're trying to make it happen all you want, when in reality, you're not. But yeah, I'm in favor of it. It just didn't happen. Yeah, but you're running on it. You're, you're, no, what he's, he's not running on decriminalizing crossing the border. He's running on lax immigration laws. That's the that's the umbrella for it. So while he can say that, you know, you know, we didn't decriminalize that, we didn't get to to get around to, you know, doing that, it just didn't work in Congress, you know, we didn't have any bipartisan help, we did do A, B, and C. Some things that were less extreme, easier to get done, but still a win for his base.
Joe Biden's a career I, politician. He he knows what he's doing. No, he doesn't. If you watch the debate, <laughs> he looks lost. He stumbles over his dentures when he talks. Oh my gosh. It was funny, though. There was one time when Bernie was sitting there yelling at everybody about, you know, Wall Street and everything. His hand kind of got in Joe Biden's face, and Joe Biden kind of did the like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Look, it was pretty funny. Oh, Bernie. I think Bernie's done. He looked really out of place up there. Every every question he was asked, oh well, yeah, 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 but Wall Street <laughs> tax the rich. Look, he's gonna run on what he's gonna run on, and he ain't gonna he ain't gonna deviate. It it feels so much different than four year or well, yeah, four years ago now when he was running, it was something new, it was something different. But now it's the every they all agree on all of it. <laughs> and that's he was like the, that's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. Last the last cycle, Bernie was that extremist candidate in a nutshell. Now, all these extremist views and that base that it's what the party has the party has become progressive to that point, and I use that word lightly, but they have they have become progressive liberals. And it's based around all those things that Bernie ran on four years ago. So now, if you want to win over, if you want to win over that party and not the, you're not talking old guard Democrats, we're talking progressive liberals. If you want to win over that party now, you have to embody everything that Bernie ran on four years ago. You have to be, you have to, you have to run on that. That has to be your platform. So now, it's not that he's he's not out of place. He's just not standing out anymore. Yeah, they haven't become progressives. They've been progressives. They've all become socialists. Let's just call it for what it is. It's socialism. I can't wait. We're probably going to have somebody respond to this. Oh, my God. Fire departments are socialists. Cops are socialists. Socialism's great. Look at Norway. Just like anything, you know, different ideologies work in different settings and on larger and smaller scales than others. So, absolutely. I think, I think I looked up like Norway or Sweden or something, and they have like nine million people. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) we got. You know, we got like 330 plus million, depending on what the census comes out with. I mean, it's just, it's so much different. If you like it so much, seriously, move. I, I'm, I, and I'm like, people are, you know, get upset when you say that, but I'm like, no, if you want to go over there, go over there. If I don't like the neighborhood I'm living in, I'm going to move. So if you dislike it so much, leave. Because right now the economy's booming. There are more jobs than people can actually fill. 
And if you got a problem with that, then you're just stupid. And I'll wait for the I'll wait for the replies. We don't call people stupid on this show. You're stupid. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody can everybody can pretty much go and watch the debate for themselves. Obviously, that's a little bit of our commentary on it. I could go on and on, especially with Julian Castro saying that. Oh, yeah. There should be reproduct- reproductive justice for trans women. Yeah, let's touch on that real quick because I I was a little confused on that one. I'm confused about everything that comes out of these people's mouths. I don't understand. First of all, I guess I'm not educated enough. So a trans woman is that a man who got who transitioned to a woman? Yes. Okay, so So what he's saying is that Bruce Caitlyn Jenner should be able to have an abortion and have me pay for it. He thinks that taxpayers should pay for it and that I or or, or that Caitlyn Jenner should be able to have an abortion on the government's dime. How's that even freaking possible? I I don't I don't know what to say on that. I mean, besides the fact that you know, I don't know. I it, it, I don't see how being you know being a man and then transitioning to a woman. I don't think technology has gotten far enough to where you can magically have a uterus after. I mean, we it's 2019, but I don't think we're we're that advanced yet. I don't know, man. There's some doctors out there that can make some things happen. If we if we're at that point, then I don't know. We should have already been back to the moon by now. I don't know. It just, it really, the fact that he got up there and said it was like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Well, I mean, what was the, what was the response when he said it? Oh, well, you know, the crowd, woo! There's, you know, there's, uh-uh. well, it seems like, and it just goes back to show at this point in the game, you know, it's, Whoever, it's an applause meter in the crowd. You know, it's whoever, pandering. Whoever gets the most applause is, you know, who's going to do better in the polls. So everybody's trying to get the the most oorah out of everybody by saying whatever. Who can come up with the most crowd pleasing statement? Get a rise out of everybody. It's pandering. It really is. It was just like, oh, let me throw this in there so I can get some, you know, LGBT you know, applause out there in the, you know, just like old Beto up there speaking Spanish, totally dodging the question. (laughs) My God. No, I don't, I don't have a problem with, with him speaking Spanish, honestly. I mean, everybody's been, been memeing it and giving him hell about it. 
But I think because you know Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio both did it in the primaries um, in the last in the last primary election exactly, and he's not. But okay, let me finish. If you're Hispanic, obviously you can speak you can speak Spanish whenever you want to, and also if your district is, you know, if you have a high number of Hispanic citizens. Hispanic American citizens in your district, then yes, of course, you, you you speak Spanish because a lot of people that you have legislative the legislative duty over speak Spanish. That's fine. What I have a problem with is when you know somebody like uh, Pete Booty Edge, somebody like him, not him specifically, but somebody like him, you know, who's a a mayor in some you know, coastal, eastern coastal town. In Indiana. Indiana, okay, some Midwest, some Midwest <laughs> town <laughs> that probably <laughs> has a less than 10% Hispanic population, if that, if it's even double digits, you know, going up there and speaking Spanish. There's no reason for that. That's pandering. There's no reason for you to speak Spanish on a nationally broadcast debate. That's probably being broadcast in several languages. But somebody like Beto doing it, I mean, more power to you. Smoke them if you got them. You're stupid. What? You can't tell that it was pandering, man. Like it was out of nowhere. It hadn't, it had nothing. It had, it was a, question about taxes it had nothing to do with even like any sort of hispanic policy question or anything he was I, asked if he was doing that to- but his sti- but still hispanic hispanic americans still pay the same taxes as other americans so that's what i'm saying if you have a jurisdiction that is widely hispanic it's okay for you to do it doesn't matter if the question is is particularly specific to the Hispanic plight. All right, brother, we're just going to disagree on this one. I could go, I could go on and on, and but you know what? And then Cory Booker got up there and did it too. Cory Booker, Cory Booker's from New Jersey, right? Yes. Anyway, y'all go watch. Y'all go watch the debate. Y'all can see what I'm talking about. Oh my God! I can't wait for the next one. (laughs) So, the next topic we have was about a week ago. There was actually a House hearing on reparations. Very touchy subject. They had people like Danny Glover up there. They had a few other people who I'd never really heard of, but they were in there testifying. And then obviously um, the representatives asked questions and, you know, grandstanded as they always do. So I guess the question is, we'll just get right into it. Do you believe reparations are 
how do I say, needed? Are they necessary? And are they right? This is a, there's a lot of, a lot of sides to this question. Now, reparations to me, what it seems to be everybody's, you know, leaning towards, I guess the simple, the simple um, form of it, like a check to every black household or whatever, or individual. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that type of reparations. I don't think that's, that does nothing for anybody. I mean, yes, the nice pick me up some people, but nothing like that. If you're running, if you're really going to get into why we're having these discussions on reparations or possibly reparation, no amount of money is going to, is going to cover this nation's history when it comes to, you know, when it comes to slavery and when it comes to discrimination and Jim Crow and basically the better part of American history against African-Americans. No amount of money is going to cover that and no amount of money should cover that because it's not a, it's not a, it's not something you can just throw money at and fix. It's not a government project, black people. So I don't agree with reparations in any sense in that form. But when you want to talk about how, you know, institutional racism has stopped black people from advancing to or or hindered black people from advancing at the rate of their of their white counterparts or any other, you know, ethnicity in this country, then you start getting deeper into what reparations would actually be. And what they're talking about now, what they're having, you know, house hearings on and what the social media debate is. I mean, nobody's, nobody's answering that question. So I don't think that, I don't think we were going to get to that point to where we can, you know, even to where I would even agree with any type of reparations. We're not going to get to that point because you know, nobody sees it that way. The full reparation side is just looking for a quick fix. And if you really want to talk about it, that's not that's not the way to go about it. So that side is going to be split down the way. And the against reparation side is just against reparations. So you got two to one for no reparations. So we're not really going to get anywhere with that. I think we should just move on not from the not from the past and not from slavery, but move on from this conversation because we're having the wrong conversation right now. Well, I actually think you hit it. You took the words right out of my mouth. A few things here. Number one, They obviously the main form of reparation, like you said, that's been floated out there is some form of monetary reparation. You know, making white people taxed a little bit more and throw that money into a fund that is paid out to 
either every black person or every black household, as you said. I guess my, my thing, if you think that, number one, even trying to put a price tag on what happened back then, if you think that's the way to go, then I think you're pretty, you're pretty off base. There is no price tag, as you said, to be put on what happened back then. There really isn't. I look at it as my reparation to every black person that I know and that every black person that I will meet is that I treat you with the dignity and respect that you were not treated with back then. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And that, that, that goes more towards, you know, what we need to be talking about in the conversation of reparations, because Obviously, obviously what reparations is supposed to do is make up for what happened back then, make up for any wrongdoings. But when we're talking about the wrongdoings of African-Americans back in, you know, the slavery times and, you know, the Jim Crow era, the wrongdoings have had such a prolonged and lasting effect that we're still we're still feeling those effects today in forms of, you know, education, when it comes to education, when it comes to generational wealth, when it comes to, you know, owning businesses, things of that nature, even down to the, you know, the individual household, we're still feeling those effects from decisions made, you know, 50, 60, 100, 200 years ago. So, well, you know, a check's not gonna, not gonna fix those effects, but, how you how you go about treating how you go about treating people today and how you go about developing people today does a lot more in reversing the effects of what happened yesterday and it could be my it, it very well could be monetary but not in the form of a check in your hand but investing in you know investing in policy investing in in programs that develop african-americans and african-american youth and for the future it's not something that's going to be a quick fix in a day you know we sign this bill you get a check today boom we're done our debt is paid it's something it has it has to be a develop a development because the slavery was a development and it happened over hundreds of years and even when it was when it was abolished and when we went to separate but equal it was still those effects were still going in a forward direction nothing had stopped so now we're having to screech to a halt and then go back a check is not going to do that it has to develop it has to develop the same way that it developed before. No, I, I completely agree. And I guess as a, as a white person myself, obviously the problem I have with it 
is, you know, I'm, I'm just very much about not blaming somebody for, you know, in the present for something that happened in the past. Everybody knows what happened. Everybody's aware of it. But I, ha- I mean, I, just, I had nothing to do with it. And to sit there and say that I need to be taxed at a higher rate to make up for something that happened back then that I wasn't even alive for, I, I just think it's wrong. And, you know, people can comment, say something about me. I don't care. But I'm going to have a family one day. And, you know, we all live in the same, in the same country. And I just don't believe that my family should be taxed at a higher rate because of what happened back then. There's definitely other ways that we can try and remedy the the effects that are still going on. I get it. But I just don't think a monetary reparation in the form of a flat out check is going to do anything. Yeah. But Uh, I I think I need to clarify. I don't think that, that white people are the ones that have a duty to provide reparations to black people in this country. It's the country itself has a duty because our law of the land, the constitution has been around since the late 1700s. We're, that is our, that is the supreme document. That is what our country is founded on. Lawmakers back then, you know, they drafted it up. It's been amended over time. That is our, our, that is our supreme law. So as a country, when you, when you take on the role of political office in any form, you are, you have a duty to uphold and defend that supreme law and you are now a part of it. You take an oath to that constitution. You are a part of the solution. You are a part of protecting and defending the rights and lives of the citizens that of this country that adhere to that law. So it's the country's duty to make right the wrongs that it perpetuated against its citizens at any part in history. So it doesn't matter if it happened 200 years ago or happened two years ago, you're a lawmaker today. If you are a public servant today, defending upholding the constitution today, then you have a duty to right any wrongs underneath that constitution. That's just my thing about it. So why it's not, you know, Sally, Bob, and Joe's job down the street that works as a freaking, I don't know, I don't know, some non-government job. It's not their individual, it's not their individual responsibility to make sure, you know, Jeremy next door gets his piece of the pie. But it is the country as a whole job 
the country in form of its its leaders. It is their job, and that's the job. That's that's a part of the oath that they took. Completely agree. We got kind of deep there. Oh. So, I guess we'll go on to our final I, I, segment of the day. I thought that was going to be a lot more heated. You hyped me up no. for no reason. I didn't hype you up. You gave me a disclaimer beforehand. <laughs> like it was my no, I didn't. I look, that was before the debates and I went off on the on the Democrats, so I was a little bit more subdued. <laughs> but I'll let you go on the last segment here since you're actually the one who um, shared the post or the article regarding Clarence Thomas and this Supreme Court decision. Go ahead. Yes. All right. So <clears throat> there is a Supreme Court case not too long ago, um, Flowers versus Missouri. Uh, what ended up, well, a little bit of background of the case is uh, this guy named uh, Curtis Flowers, 1996. Uh, he was he allegedly murdered four people in Mississippi. Uh, Flowers is a black guy. He was tried six separate times before a jury for murder. All right. So just let that sink in real quick. That's an important fact. He was tried six times for murder. Three of those times, he was, uh, yeah, three of those times on the first three, he was convicted and sentenced to death. All right. On each one of those occasions, the the um, he appealed and it got up to the Mississippi Supreme Court, and each of those convictions were overturned on the grounds of misconduct by the prosecutor in that case, Doug Evans. All right, Doug Evans was um, found to found to have been um, manipulating the jury, and by keeping black people off the juries in those trials, and you know, um, just non. Non-ethical practices is what the Mississippi Supreme Court found. So those convictions were overturned. Now, in the fourth and fifth um, times that he was tried for murder, they ended in hung juries. And in the sixth trial, he was convicted. Um, but then uh, also he was convicted in that time as well. But the Supreme Court found that, you know, the uh, prosecutor acted again in prejudice and discriminating against black people in the jury selection, and they overturned the conviction once again. Now, this is the the sixth time was the one that was tried in the U.S. Supreme Court, and this is where the Supreme Court's decision was seven to two um, in favor of Flowers. Now, the two that dissented in that opinion were uh, Judges Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas. Uh, as we all know, or as you all should know, you know, Clarence Thomas is a, a long-standing conservative, black conservative judge on the Supreme Court. Um, Clarence, <laughs> he usually doesn't, you know, doesn't voice his opinions in such a a heated and emotional way whenever he has a, uh, whenever he 
uh, dissents or concurs with the decision. But in this case, it's actually a very rare case because he's on the losing side with only with only one other judge um, sharing his opinion. Um, that being Neil Gorsuch. Usually, with Clarence Thomas having such you know, seniority on the court, Clarence. <laughs> You can't keep doing that. <laughs> Usually with him having such seniority in the court, you know, other judges tend to take to his uh, professional opinion um, a lot more than, than it was here. But what's so interesting about this particular dissent is um, Clarence Thomas basically called the rest of um, the judges that ruled in favor of Flowers basically idiots for, for ruling in such a way. Um, and I guess his his uh, his opinion was, you know, this guy's been tried for murder six times. Why would you why would you even think of, you know, letting him out or, or letting him setting him free or whatever ruling in his favor? Um, he didn't really speak at all on the on the actions of Doug Evans, the, the prosecutor, and how he was found to be in prejudice in all six trials where he was the lead prosecutor. Um, but actually, Judge Kavanaugh provided an opinion and pretty much scorched the prosecutor, calling his racism, quote, almost cartoonish. I like, I like how he used that word. Almost cartoonish in his racism. Um, and it basically, it was just this stood out to me because of all the the backlash that Kavanaugh recently got and his confirmation and everything. Everybody thought that he was just going to be the the death to anything that wasn't straight white male coming through the Supreme Court. And here we have, you know, the only black conservative judge on the Supreme Court, them two being at odds over a, a six-time convicted murderer who is African-American or alleged murderers. Yeah, six-time convicted alleged murderer who's African-American and Kavanaugh being in the in favor of the guy. So that was just a – it was pretty interesting. I think it was the most interesting thing that we've had in the past couple of weeks here. Curry, what, what was your take on this? Well, first of all, I think that Judge Kavanaugh should have a beer, a big mug of beer sitting up there on his his bench spot every time. He should just be sipping that thing, chug him if he needs to, just, just, just to rub it in their face that he's got that spot for the rest of his life. I mean, just get absolutely plastered up there on the bench. Okay. Anyway, besides the point, you know, with Clarence, I don't know. <laughs> I guess my question is, what was actually being, like, argued here? Were, what, were they arguing for him to go free just because of the racism? Or were – I guess what I'm saying is – it. It almost sounds as if, like, 
Gorsuch and Clarence. Clarence were pretty much saying, yeah, this guy was um, racist in the way that he tried him, but we're not going to let him go because he still probably killed six people. I, I guess that's what I take from it. I still think I mean, it's, it's wrong. Clarence is wrong, but I'm just trying. I was so confused reading it and I've just been trying to figure out like how they were looking at it. I have to look at the, the actual, actual text of the case, but basically what Clarence was saying that the, the prosecutors, the way that he, that he prosecuted the case was not, it was not his fault that it turned out to be inherently racist the fact that there were no black jurors on the trial, he was saying that that wasn't the prosecutor's fault. And that's just the way the case came out so that he can't, he can't be blamed for that. And we shouldn't just let the guy go just because of that. And he was saying the only reason it even got to the Supreme court is because of the media attention. Mm-hmm. So he was just, he was just in disagreement. He was in disagreement. First of all, for the court, even granting certiorari to even hear it. And then again, on the same basis, to let the guy go because of the the lack of ju- or lack of African American jurors on the jury. But what Kavanaugh was saying is that it was definitely this guy's fault, and even if it wasn't his fault directly, it still it still violates um, the Constitution and having a. Uh, a fair jury, you know, a jury of his peers to hear the case, whether somebody, you know, handpicked them or not, or stop block black people from being on the jury, it still wasn't a, a fair trial. I see. So pretty much Gorsuch and Thomas are saying, look, even though there's not there weren't like many black people on the juror or the jury that he was still found guilty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get that sentiment, but if there's something, I mean, man, that's, I don't know. The CT Supreme court, they should, they should have never, even had this case in front of them. So whatever the lower yeah. courts whatever the lower courts ruled, that's what you know they should have went with. That's basically his opinion. Mm-hmm. And what the lower courts went with was that he was guilty. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's that's tricky. I mean I don't I'd, I'd like to see if there was anything like in the past regarding regarding cases like this. I would like to see the lower court decisions regarding this case. I, I, I don't know. Because I get where he's saying. He's like, look, he's still found guilty, what, three times? Yeah. Or something? So first three times and then hung jury in the fourth and fifth. Six went to Supreme Court. 
Yeah. Uh, so who's to say if he's? I mean, if he actually kills people or not? Basically, the they were just ruling on whether the the proceedings were constitutional or not. Right. But he, I mean, it's going to the Supreme Court now, so he can't be tried again. Yeah. Well. If he did do it, that is the the greatest finesse of all time. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So the f- come to the final part of the show, which would be Florida Man of the Week. Oh, I have the honors. So here's what I found. This is from Newsweek. This happened earlier in the week. A Florida man stripped naked, did what the arresting officer described as a strange dance at a McDonald's restaurant, and was seen trying to have relations with a railing by a witness to the bizarre incident. So, our Florida man of the week is John Francis Morgan, who stripped butt naked in front of a McDonald's and tried to have some sort of intimate relations with a railing. (laughs) God only knows what he could have done with a railing. (laughs) I mean, depends on if it was rounded off or not. So I have so many questions. What part of what part of Florida was this? Naples. Naples. Okay. And this guy, you say he was sixty-two years old. Sixty-two years old. You you should see the picture, buddy. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. All right, so he stripped down naked at McDonald's. Outside of McDonald's. Outside of McDonald's. Okay. In full view of McDonald's patrons, though, correct? Yeah, could you imagine chomping on or chomping on a chicken nugget and seeing <laughs> a guy trying to do something with a railing outside? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> Throw him some sweet and sour sauce out there. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, that's a. That's Florida man, all right. Mm-hmm. Did say that he was under the influence of anything? What? Did he say? Did they say he was under the influence of anything? Uh, no. Just crazy. Living dude. his best life. What? He was just living his best life. That's right. With a railing. Sober as, sober as can be. It's having fun. <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. So, you know, anyway. Keep, keep an eye on your grandparents, especially if they're from Florida. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All righty. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the show this week. If you've learned anything, it would be to hide your wallets because Bernie's coming for you. Yeah, we had a, a pretty informative show today. Pretty politics heavy, but 
that's all right. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to be educated about. I'm gonna go look up the um the actual case briefing for this Flowers versus Missouri case and and uh, read his actual dissent. But um yeah, we had a lot of good stuff to talk about. Yeah. Look forward to to hearing everybody's responses and feedback and hopefully we can get at some things next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week and we'll have a account on how many days it's been since Joe Biden's been called a racist and Obama has yet to defend him. Because I have a pretty good feeling Obama's gonna be on this one. Of course, as he should. All right. Whatever. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. This is the Alternative Podcast. Look forward to giving you new content next week. All right, y'all. Have a good one.